Okay, page 7 there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The word of the Lord. God, help us. We give you thanks for your word. Um, we pray that now you would, uh, you would now speak to us in your word. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with the news of our salvation. I believe that's what... Uh, Peter's doing here. I, I believe he is trying to show us just how significant and central and important is our salvation in such a way that our gratitude would, would just be overwhelming, so overwhelming that it would combat the fears, the sufferings, the sin, the struggles, the anxieties of this life. May our salvation this evening be greater to us than our circumstances. Um, that comes from you, God, so I pray you would do that work. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are getting back into First Peter here. Um, and we do so with a passage that is intended to challenge um, your perspective on things. Um, Peter is concluding his opening encouragement to exiles. He started his letter talking to exiles, and, and then he goes into this excursion um, um, with, with words of promise and hope and encouragement that he is intending to sustain them during their exile. And the way he concludes it all is challenging them to appreciate how blessed they are. Um, he's trying to change their perspective into a higher eternal perspective and see how blessed they are. He's saying, though exile is true, and it is true, let us not forget what else is true, our salvation. We tend to get overwhelmed by our present sufferings while forgetting kind of the bigger picture of endless blessings that are ours in Christ. And Peter's going to remind us of that bigger picture this evening. And in this way, the intention is, um, the way he intends to combat the sufferings of exile or just the normal sufferings of life in a fallen, broken world is by gratitude for our salvation. He's going to offer a new perspective is what he's going to do. A joke that's uh, become popular on the Internet uh, these days is, is this idea of uh, first world problems. You, you, you see people talking about these all the time. And... and, and um, if you, if you don't know, if you haven't been introduced to this thing called the Internet, what it, what it is is it's, it's these little memes and quotes and all this stuff that pokes fun at us spoiled Westerners uh, for our, you know, the, 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 the comforts and blessings that we take for granted and the silly, silly things that we complain about in our life. And the only reason it's funny is because it's, it's true. And, um, and kind of in preparation for this sermon this week and just trying to examine my own heart according to like my perspective, my discontentment, um, uh, my perspective on things, um, I just decided to note every time I got like frustrated with these things that I suppose you can call 
uh, first world problems. And I got really um, convicted and really ashamed. And I'm going to share a little bit of my shame with you this evening. Um, here, here's some things I wrote down. I got in the shower on Tuesday and there was no soap. Anything worse than that? Then I turned off that shower and realized there's no towel. There's really nothing worse than that. Found myself getting very angry. Um, we had our first cold morning of the fall this week, and my commute to work is, too, is so short that my car never gets warm until I pull into the parking lot, and this makes me very angry. Um, our church community has so graciously provided meals for us. We've just been overwhelmed by um, meals with the birth of our new child, and which is fantastic. But uh, this week, I got really mad when I was trying to put something in the fridge, and there was no room in the fridge. <laughs> too much food. We, oh America, too much food in the fridge. Um, I. Uh, I may have let a choice word slip when I was, I had an important email that I was having to write and I was ready to go to bed. I was exhausted. And so I was trying to write the email on my phone while I was laying in bed. And, um, and you know how like when it's at the side, the screen flips, you know, and, and you can't get it right. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to write this really important email and, and I'm just like, oh, and Abby's like, what are you doing? I was like, the, the screen won't stop like moving and, and all that. And uh, yes, I realized they told me after the first service this morning, there is a fix to that. Thank you. You don't have to show me how stupid I am to that. But um, so, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got really mad at my iPhone. Um, these are the things that angered me this week. And calling them first world problems is appropriate because what it does is it highlights how skewed our perspective is. Anyone who travels to a third world country comes home. You, you know this if you've done travel like this. You come home just overwhelmed with how blessed we truly are. And these silly little problems that tend to frustrate us um, get put in perspective. And we almost laugh at them and take them with a grain of salt. And this is kind of what Peter's doing this evening. What he's going to do is he's going to challenge our perspective on a, on a bigger level, on an ultimate level. Because it's true um, that perspective of Western prosperity can put many of our problems um, into perspective. But what about our greater problems? I mean, I, I had these weeks of these silly, crazy little frustrations that I'm embarrassed by. But I also had some pretty serious stuff go on this week. Um, you know, if you're on our uh, church's prayer list, we, we, have, we had a young, we had a teenage girl go missing this week, ran away, and our whole church and community was praying. Um, I was all over the news, and praise the Lord, we, we, uh, we found her, but that, that's a suffering, that's a trial, that's an issue, that's, that's a problem no matter what culture you're in. First world, third world, it doesn't matter. I've got, I've got stuff that I'm counseling people through that I don't care if you're an American or live in utter poverty in the third world. It's a problem. It's serious. Is there any perspective that can handle these types of things? Our greatest sufferings, our greatest fears, our greatest anxieties, our greatest trials, indeed our very exile that is upon us. Is there anything that is a big enough perspective to handle these? And that's what Peter is offering us this evening. Our greatest sufferings are put into perspective when we consider the glory of our salvation. This is the only thing good enough, glorious 
eternal enough, all of these things. This is the, this is the only thing big enough to give perspective that will overcome our greatest sufferings. And in this way, the grief of suffering is overcome by the gratitude for our salvation. I want to ask two questions from these verses this evening. How important is your salvation to God? And then, by way of application, I'm going to ask, how important is your salvation to you? How important is your salvation to God? That's what these verses Peter's doing here. Let me remind us where we are in chapter 1. Peter began his letters to exiles with the most amazing words of hope, promise, and glory. And all of it builds up to the culminating words of verse 9, which are not in your bulletin. But it says, it all culminates where Peter says, the promise that you're going to obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation. And with that, it feels like Peter should be done with his hope, full opening words to exiles, but he isn't finished yet. He's not done yet. Look at verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, in our vernacular, that would be something along the lines of, hey, speaking of your salvation, let me say something about that. He wants a brief moment to make sure. We don't just gloss over the fact that he told you salvation of your souls. That you're not just going to, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, salvation. He's saying, no, no, hold on a minute. Speaking of salvation... Let me tell you how significant this is. And he does it by essentially making the case that nothing is more significant to our God than our salvation. Look at it with me. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Now, what is he talking about? Here's what he's doing. He, in Peter's context, prophets were synonymous with Scripture. Okay, when they, they, they viewed the prophets um, like we view our Bible. God historically spoke to His people by prophets. Or as verse 11 says, prophets spoke according to the Spirit of Christ in them. The, the Holy Spirit spoke through prophets. So what he's talking about here is this idea of inspiration. We, we, we do believe in the inspiration of Scripture. And in the Old Testament canon was inspired by the prophets. And the New Testament canon was inspired by the apostles. But but what he's talking about here is an inspiration different than we typically think of when we think about religious, religious claims of inspiration. The prophets of old spoke on behalf of God, but they didn't really have a full grasp of what the Lord was saying through them. In other words, they couldn't fully comprehend the meaning and implications of their own message. That's why it says that they had to study they, I think the word he uses, he uses it twice. They inquired carefully, trying to understand the mystery of this revelation, of this inspiration. And, and Peter wants us to know, wants us to appreciate that all of the searching and all of the inquiring and all of the studying and all of even the longing to have these prophets come to pass, all of it finds its fullness in your salvation. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here's the point that he's making to his readers. His, 
struggling, suffering readers. As it turns out, your salvation is literally the entire point of Scripture. That's what it's all about. We talk often at this church that every story of the Bible is actually about Jesus. I don't know how you, how you view the scriptures, but it is not a book of moralism. Do these good things, don't do these bad things. It's actually a, an incredibly complex narrative to reveal to you one person. His name is Jesus. Every story whispers his name, as the children's book says. He is behind everything such that everything written discloses unto us the person and work of Jesus. But take it a one step further. And I'm just going to risk sounding man-centered here because I think the Bible is doing that. Take it one step further. What is Jesus all about? You. Your salvation. If the Bible is all about Jesus, and if Jesus is all about your salvation, then all sacred inspiration, the law and the prophets, everything ultimately is, to quote Peter in this passage, serving you. All that God has been saying throughout the centuries, all the study, all the inquiry, all the events and predictions, all the foreshadows and types, the mystery of it all is that it has all been serving you, follower of Jesus. It isn't just that every story whispers His name. Every story of the Bible whispers your name. But Peter isn't even, he goes even further than just the centrality of our salvation to God's Word. Our salvation is also central to God's activity. That is, it's not just that our salvation is all that God has been talking about through the centuries. It's all that God has been up to. Go back through these couple verses and notice how active God Himself is in them. It's, this, is, this is different than, again, we're talking about a different type of, of revelation, prophetic revelation, whereas every other religion besides Christianity would say, here's how revelation works. There's somebody who claims to be a prophet who has heard something from a transcendent deity that he's going to reveal, but it's this disconnected word. Look how involved our God is in inspiration. And in, the, and in the application of the inspiration. Verse 11, inquiring, these prophets inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here's what he's saying. Let me just summarize that. You have the Holy Spirit in the prophets speaking words about what Christ will do. Then you have Christ doing what the Spirit said He would do, namely His suffering and glory. That's His resurrection and His cross and resurrection. Then you have in verse 12, the same Spirit that predicted Christ now accompanying the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. So God the Spirit said what God the Son would do. Then God the Son did what God the Spirit said He would do. Then God the Spirit says what God the Son has done. The point is that our salvation is not the story of a disconnected God who sends a message from on high. He is intimately involved in pulling it off. In performing our salvation, even, it says, unto the sufferings. That our salvation requires the sufferings and even that our Christ has done. What's this mean? Our salvation is really important to God. How significant, how important is your salvation to God? It's all He's been talking about and all that He has been doing for the entirety of human history. 
He was, is, and forever shall be fixated both in word and in deed upon your salvation. And the reason that Peter is sharing this high view of our salvation with exiles is for them and us to gain a newfound appreciation for our salvation. A salvation that is worth everything to God and should therefore be worth everything to us. But is that the case? That's the challenge of the passage. This thing called our salvation is the most important thing in heaven and earth. It is the story of Scripture. It is the activity of God. Do we appreciate it like heaven and earth appreciates it? I want to close with that challenge. How significant is your salvation to God? We've answered that. It only begs the question of application. How important is your salvation to you? There is that fascinating little phrase here that makes an amazing claim. Uh, First Peter, by the way, has some strange, there's a few verses in there that are strange, and what are the implications of that? What does that mean? And, and this is probably the first one of those that people have wondered, what is he talking about here? I'll tell you what I think. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, this is the last verse, revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. But then he includes this little point. Things into which angels long to look. Now, that is much more than angels long to see this thing called salvation unfold. Everything we know from Scripture tells us that they know what's going on. These heavenly beings know what's going on. What Peter is saying is that angels long to look upon God's salvation from your perspective. In other words, angels are jealous of you. Exile and all. Put another way, angels would, take pla- to, would trade places with you if they could. Now think about how remarkable that is. These mighty creatures. So gl- I don't know what you, what you think of when you think conceptually of angels. Maybe, you, maybe you're skeptic and you think that's even that just that idea is silly, to which I, I would say there, there truly are transcendent spiritual realities that, that we, we don't know, that are alive. But, or on the other hand, maybe your view of angels is um, shaped by culture or, or whatever. Whatever your views are, you could pretty much just say disregard all of them um, because because I don't think anything's more misunderstood than angels. They are these mighty creatures of God, agents of God, and they are so glorious that every time they show up in our story, humanity freaks out. And they would give up all the power and all of that glory for your story. These creatures of heaven that are spared, they don't have to deal with the hardships of this fallen earthly existence. But they'd like to, to have your story. These creatures with access to God and heavenly realities that we cannot even fathom, yet they would give it all up to have what you have. To have God fixated upon them as He is fixated upon us. To know God not just as their Creator, but as their Heavenly Father. They would long to call God Father. But that's only invitation of us. To know Jesus not as their Lord and Commander of their army, but as a Savior who is lovingly willing to lay down His life for them. To not just be agents of Jesus, but to be the bride of Jesus, to be the lover of Jesus. Peter is saying that angels long for what we take for granted every day. 
all of this is intended to convict us. He is trying to combat our grief and our suffering with gratitude for our salvation. He is saying, I know you're in exile. I know you're suffering. I know it's hard. I know you're struggling. I know various trials of many kind. But let us not forget that you are also the saved and beloved of God. A salvation that heaven and earth is literally fixated upon. A salvation so glorious that angels would trade places with you right now, sufferings and all. They would gladly become the world's exile to become the Father's children. So honestly, it is as if in verses 10 through 12, Peter is shouting us, Wake up, you spoiled, entitled exiles, who go about your day complaining and grumbling, and you have no idea how good you have it. So, how important is your salvation to you? Or maybe, maybe another way to say is, what, what, what actually do you want from God? He, he offers his salvation. Is that enough? Do you remember when they brought the paralytic, to G, the, the paralytic to Jesus and Jesus was moved with compassion? His heart is broken and so he fixes that man's problem. You know what he said? Your sins are forgiven. I wonder if that guy was disappointed in that moment. I would be, probably. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, thanks. Can you do something about the paralysis? Right? That's us. Thank you, Jesus, that my sins are forgiven. But I was really hoping you would take care of this circumstance that's really destroying my life right now. You know, salvation is great and all, but Jesus, I'm really worried about my finances. Salvation is great and all, but Jesus, I'm, I am just overwhelmed by singleness. Or if you're married, I'm just overwhelmed by my spouse. Salvation is great and all, but Jesus, um, boy, I'm, I'm troubled about this election. I'm worried about our country. I'm worried about our culture. Forgiveness of sins, that, that, that's great, but Jesus, I really don't like the idea of being in exile. That's the challenge Peter's offering. He's challenging our perspective here. What do you ultimately want from God? Friends, if that answer goes beyond what God ultimately wants for you, if that answer goes beyond His ultimate salvation, then I'm just going to tell you, you are going to live a very hardened, cynical, discontent, despondent, complaining, murmuring, sad life. But if our perspective is aligned with God's perspective, if we see our ultimate problem as God sees our ultimate problem, if we want what God wants, if we value what God values, then we will be overwhelmed with how good He is to us. And this overwhelming gratitude will then overwhelm the lesser problems that we tend to make ultimate problems. It will. We'll say, exile? Who cares? I'm saved. Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, urgh, I don't care, I'm saved. Mocked, hated, marginalized, aging, sick, dying. I'm saved. Now what can this not combat is the point. And I, I, listen, I'm overstating things here. I'm intentionally sounding a bit like a Gnostic who believes nothing matters except your soul getting saved and getting to heaven. That's not true. We're going to talk in the coming weeks about the implications of this. Um, God takes our problems seriously. Jesus did heal the paralytic. He did, but... But 
But in saying your sins are forgiven first before he heals him, he was making a very important point. You think your greatest problem is your paralysis. I think your greatest problem is your need for salvation. And I love you enough to prioritize what I see as your greatest problem rather than what you see as your greatest problem. But he did. He did heal him. He took his paralysis seriously. But what's confronting us here is what do you want from God? If that answer goes beyond his salvation, then God is going to disappoint you. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, we invite you to be a follower of Jesus. But um, contrary to what you are going to read from many of the books and Christian bookstores that is, that is offering you a healthy and prosperity life by following Jesus, contrary to what you will maybe see on um, many um, uh, televangelists on TV um, who are smiling with really loud suits and jewelry, um, contrary to what you will hear, that somehow this will just fix everything in your life, um, we actually only have one thing to offer you, and it is the salvation of your soul. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll take care of everything else. He will. He will make all things new. But what I'm offering you now is one thing. You can be saved. You can be saved. And our point is, is that in offering you that and not offering to fix every problem of your life, I am offering you more than you could ever imagine, even though I can't fix everything in your life. What do you want from God? If it goes beyond his salvation, he's going to disappoint you. But if we want from God what God wants to give us, then we will be overwhelmed with gratitude. Gratitude so full, so rich, that it will overwhelm any grief that comes our way. From this perspective, closing, from this perspective, exile, Peter's talking about, and that is upon us, exile might just be our strange friend. It might be the reorientation that we are also desperate for. Things might get to the point where all we have is Jesus and his salvation. But I think what we will discover is that Jesus and his salvation is all that we need and could ever want. Maybe you're even there. Maybe the bitter providence of God has just flattened you. And all you've got is Jesus and the hope of salvation. And if you're like me, every time you're in that moment, although you don't like those moments, but every time you're in that moment, you realize that's all I need. There is an irony to this whole notion of first world problems. If you talk to, if you talk to our sisters and brothers in third world lands, um, they see a deep irony to the first world problems, right? Um, the, uh, a missionary that we support in, in a third world country um, was recently in the States and I took him out to lunch and we went to, um, we went to uh, just your typical American sports bar for dinner. And, um, you know, there's just TVs everywhere, and they brought him this enormous plate of food and, and all this stuff. And at one point, he, he said, I got, I got to get out of here. And, um, and I thought he meant out of the rest. I was like, you, you feeling bad? He's like, no, no, I got to get out of the States. It's like, I, this is just overwhelming. It's just there's TVs everywhere. Like, you're, there's just constant news of, like, craziness going on. And, like, it's just always flashing at me. And there's just constant advertisement that is just tempting me with idols of the world and um, a constant invitation to consume and gluttony. And he's just like, I'm forgetting my first love. I got to get out of here. I got to get back to exile. And... Um, 
And that's what happens. That's what happens when, um, when Jesus and his salvation is all that we have. We start to realize that it is all that we need. So perhaps exile is what we need. Perhaps we need to be stripped down to the point where all we have is our Savior and his salvation and discover that all we need is our Savior and his salvation. Let me pray. Overwhelm us, Lord, with the news of your salvation that we might actually be able to sing songs of joy and bless your name in our exile, in our suffering, in our griefs, whatever we're facing, Lord. Overwhelm us that we might bless you in it and say, when all around my soul gives way, you then are my only hope and stay. And that is enough. Combat our trials with your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.